here with you. Well, we are continuing our sermon series. It is entitled, You Belong Here. And we are looking at an ancient letter uh, that was written many, many years ago, but yet it is a letter that feels incredibly modern. Uh, as we have been looking at this, studying this, reading this, uh, it was a letter that was written to a church in Ephesus, a modern day Turkey. This was a Roman colony, a Roman province. And uh, the author of this letter is the Apostle Paul. I think um, it's interesting, and we're going to talk about this a little bit today. When Paul was writing this letter, he actually was imprisoned in Rome for the preaching of the gospel. And he is under house arrest. And that is going to play uh, kind of an important uh, part in our story today. But we are digging down into Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10 through 18. And for those of you who are here in person, you have that printed in your bulletin. If you're watching with us online, uh, let me encourage you to push pause real quick and grab a Bible. Uh, we're going to be looking uh, at the message translation. But I want to go ahead and give you our big idea and kind of what it is that, that I want us to kind of explore, drill down, think about, take away. And this is the idea from this passage that, that is our big, our big idea. That the life of faith, the life of faith, and we've been talking about the life of faith, we've been talking about what it means to be the body of Christ, we've been talking about what it means to be in Christ, prayer, all these things. Uh, but this life of faith that we all have embarked upon, it is one in which there is struggle. There is struggle. Paul wanted the early church there in Ephesus to understand this, to know this. Uh, it's just as true today as it was over, you know, some 2,000 years ago. This life of faith is one in which there is struggle. It doesn't have to be uh, dominated by struggle, but it, there it's there. And God, but God, He has given us everything everything that we need to stand up to everything that the devil throws our way. The struggle is real, but God has given us everything we need to stand up to everything that the devil throws our way. Now, many of you have heard that phrase, you know, the struggle is real. Who, who else heard this phrase, the struggle is real? Well, it's kind of a little sarcastic. I looked it up in a, you know, the Urban Dictionary or whatever just to say, what, what, is, what does it actually mean? I use it all the time. Like, I just got my hair cut this week, and and. Oh gosh, I hope the per well, let me just say it is shorter than what I anticipated. So there, there's that. So, so I'm not going to say it's bothered me. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten the mirror out. I've looked in the mirror, you know, I've looked in the mirror and I'm like, man, I just wish I can't wait. You know, is that struggle real? No, that is a first century problem. It, I mean, that, that is a, that, not a first century. That, that is a, what do I say? That's a, a modern day problem, um, a first world problem. That is not a first century problem. Uh, but so often we have these things that when we compare them to struggles that people are having globally, people even in our community, we know they are not real struggles. But somehow we feel that maybe when we become a Christ follower, or maybe when we get married, or maybe when we, you know, fill in in the blank, whatever it was, that, that goal that you were trying to achieve, and you think, once I get there, there will be no more struggle. But if you are alive, if you are breathing, you know that that is not the case. Paul wants to write to the church in Ephesus, and he wants to help prepare and equip them for the struggles that would be ahead. Let me invite you to hear these ancient words, but hear them 
kind of through the lens of Paul talking to this church uh, there in Ephesus, but also may we hear the Holy Spirit speak these words to our heart and to what is going on in our world today. He writes, Ephesians 6, chapter, Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10. He said, and that about wraps it up. So what does he mean? We, we've been we've in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Now we are nearing the end of this letter. He said, that about wraps it up. He said, God is strong. God is strong. And he's already told us that. He's talked about how, how in Christ that these, these heavenly powers uh, have, been, have been defeated. And now Christ is, is seated with God in the heavenly places. He said, God is strong, the creator of the universe. And he wants you strong as well. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take everything that the master has set out for you. So Ephesian church, Martha Bowman, I want you to take everything that our master God has set out for you because he has given you some well-made weapons of the very best materials. And he says, and I want you to put them to use so that you will be able to stand up to everything that the devil throws your way. This is no weekend war that we'll walk away from and then we'll forget about it in a couple of hours. He said, this is for keeps. It is a life or death fight to the finished. And here is who it's against. It's against the devil and all of his angels. Oh, so what are we to do? He says, be prepared. He said, you are up against far more than you can handle on your own. Who's ever felt that way, that you were up against far more than what you could ever handle on your own? And he says, take all the help that you can get. And then he lists what these weapons are. He says, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation. He said, these are more than mere words. I want you to learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word, it is an indispensable weapon. In the way, in the same way prayer is essential in, in this ongoing warfare, I want you to pray hard. I want you to pray long. I want you to pray for your brothers and sisters. I want you to keep your eyes open and keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Another more familiar uh, reading of this, uh, the, the New American Standard, there's you know, different translations of the Bible, but the other translation that I probably am more familiar with, it says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes these words right here make me feel uncomfortable. They make me feel like, ooh, I kind of, you know, I don't really want to talk about this because I don't, it, it's hard for me to wrap my head around this whole idea that there might be this unseen world, and in that unseen world, that there might be mighty powers that are dark in the heavenly places. 
But Paul wants his church in Ephesus to, to think about this, to understand it, to prepare for it. And so that is what we are going to be focused on today. So woohoo, welcome to church. And it is October and Halloween is just around the corner. So anyway, there we go. But with that, I want to kind of, you know, when you think about that, when you think about the devil, when you think about Satan, when you think about these spiritual forces of wickedness, kind of where do you come down on that? Where, where do you stand? C.S. Lewis has a great quote in um, his book, The Screwtape Letters, and, and, um, and he says this, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, to basically rationalize it away, to say, well, yes, in the, in the first century church, they might have believed in the demonic, but we are more educated today. We understand that you don't have to cast a demon out of someone who is having a seizure. We know about epilepsy. We know about, so, you know, we, we, we've edu we're educated now. That was just a uh, kind of this ancient worldview. And he says, so there's that one where we completely uh, disbelieve in their existence, but the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and an unhealthy interest in them. So in other words, you can fall kind of into, you know, where everything is a devil, everything is Satan, or it can be where I don't believe at all. And he says, they themselves, speaking of the demonic, they delight in both. So where, where do you come down on this? Um, I'll tell you where I come down on it, and I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is where I am. Um, I'm a very analytical person. And so for me, it is a step of faith to believe in the supernatural. It is not what comes natural to me. It does not come. I mean, I'm always going to lean to the side that wants to rationalize and to explain and to think, you know, that people's bad behavior is just if we, were, if we just knew better, we could do better. We, you know, that's kind of where, where I have to struggle, not getting too far off in that, in that ditch, if you will. Now, some of you might be in a different place. But what we're going to do today, we're just going to look at Paul's words. And I want to lift up three ideas from this passage. So, so let me just say, wherever you fall on that spectrum, it's okay. It's okay because, you know, it is, it is what it is. But, but there are three things that I think, no matter kind of where you fall, that we can take away from today. And there are these three things. One is that we need to be prepared for the struggle. We need to be prepared for the struggle because it's, it's going to come. Um, we need to know what we're fighting against. We need to be clear on what the fight is against and what it is not, who we are not against. And then we want to talk about what are these weapons, these powerful weapons that we have at our disposal for the fight. So with those three ideas, we're going to take just a few minutes here and lift up each one of those ideas. So the first is this, we need to be prepared for the struggle. When Mark and I do premarital counseling with couples, one of the things that is so critical to me is I want couples to talk about what are you going to do? How are you going to prepare yourselves for your first argument, your first big conflict, your first big spat where somebody wants to slam the door and walk out of the house and call it quits? Now, why do we want to, you know, we don't want to necessarily focus on the negative, but here's what we know is that conflict that is not handled well uh, can lead to people not being in a good place in their relationship, but conflict handled well can actually create greater intimacy 
and connection. And so why do we spend time? I mean, I try, I try to spend, you know, at least two hours. You know, it's like one of our, one of our sessions. We have six hours that we spend with people. I, I spend one-third of that uh, working with couples about how to work through conflict in a healthy way. Why? Because I want them to be prepared because I know what is going to come. I might not know exactly what it's going to look like, but I know. Think about, um, for those of you who are moms, uh, before you had your child, you took childbirthing classes so you could prepare yourself for what was going to happen in the hospital, right? Or, or headed into the hospital. I remember one time uh, Mark's dad, this was after we had had our third child and we're sitting there and his parents had come over and, uh, and Charles, he, he said, Mark, he said, isn't that just, isn't that, how could you stand to be in the room and see Fran in that much pain? Didn't that bother you? <laughs> okay, I kid you not, Mark goes, no, it didn't bother me. <laughs> Of course, I wanted to kill him. But anyway, and then, and then we go back to the conflict. He, he said, no, he said, because I knew that's the way God designed our body, uh, you know, a, a mom's body, and that is how our child was going to come into the world was with the contra contraction. So, no, it was fine. She could, and that's like, I'm going to kill you. But, but here's the thing. When you've taken childbirthing classes, then you are prepared that you know that first contraction that hits that makes you, you know, you can't breathe and you want to, you know, hit the ground. It's like, oh, this is a good thing. It means, you know, we're about to have a baby. So, so the preparation, it kind of gets you in the right headspace so that you aren't surprised. I think about sports teams, and of course, everything, let's just be real, everything that I know about sports has come from either Mark saying, oh, friend, let me tell you what happened this weekend so you won't, you know, so you'll be educated about how Georgia did. But anyway, um, so everything I know about sports has either come from movies like Remember the Titans or Mark coaching me. But anyway, but here's what I have seen in movies, football movies, uh, is that to prepare before they, you know, have the big game or whatever, they will often watch films of their opponent. Why? Because they want to be prepared for the big game. So be prepared that life has struggles. You will have struggles. Just accept it. It is a part of the nature. Uh, prepare for it. Don't be surprised about it. All right, the second thing is, who is it that we fight? What is it that we are fighting against? So in the ancient world and kind of throughout church history, um, the, the, the writers and the thinkers have kind of identified three categories uh, that we will struggle against in this life, if you will. It's called the world, the flesh, and the devil. Today we're kind of focusing on the, you know, the satanic evil part of it, but it was the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so with that, when we think about the world, we think about, um, have you ever heard somebody say maybe when there's a, a, a hurricane or maybe there was a tornado or maybe someone got cancer or maybe someone had a miscarriage and, and you're trying to make sense of, of this, this horrible thing that has happened, this painful thing that has happened, and someone might say, well, we just live in a fallen world. How many of y'all have ever heard that? We just live in a fallen world. It's kind of our way to make sense of, you know, it really wasn't like God caused this. It really wasn't like the devil caused it. It really wasn't like I caused it. But it's like the world is not as it should be. And in this life, before we, you know, cross over into eternity, there is sickness. There is a disease. There are hard things that happen that are really just a part of the world in which we live. So that's one thing. They said, yeah, it, it's not necessarily an origin to it. So there is the world. There is the part that is our flesh. 
flesh. Um, yeah, just my own sinful desires, my selfishness, my uh, yours as well. Maybe it's the sinfulness of someone else. Um, you know, when we think of, um, you know, people that um, have things happen to them because of the sinfulness of others, or or maybe you get yourself into a situation where um, it's it's bad and it's not good, and maybe it was because of your own stupidity, your own bad decision. So there's that part of our flesh, kind of what we are tempted again, tempted with. But Paul is saying here that there is another power at work in the world today. Um, the devil, Satan, evil. Uh, you can use whatever words you want to, but in the, the first century church, they, they believed that there was this unseen world that had an impact on our world today. And Paul is very clear, um, and, and I'm gonna go back to the, the New Living Translation here. He said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but he talks about how we wrestle against these unseen powers. And so what he is trying to say here, I think, is that at times, maybe not all the time, but at times when you experience this struggle, the problem is not the human being that is in front of you. The problem is not flesh and blood, but there are unseen powers who are at work. Uh, whether that is, you know, when we think about war, we think about violence, we think about greed, we think about strife, we think about racism, we think about crime, we think about all these ills in the world, and yes, they are being often per perpetuated by human beings, but what is going on behind the scenes? Let's see what Jesus had to say and the other New Testament writers, just so we can, because kind of what I wanted to do was, as I think about this, it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't like it. It feels unknown. It feels, you know, uh, the unfamiliar. But let's look and see what did Jesus have to say. We see that when Jesus, uh, before, uh, after he was baptized, he goes into the wilderness, and he's the only one that's there. Now, we get an account of it from the gospel writers, but Jesus had to tell them about it. But, but he said that he was tempted by Satan, uh, and, and you may be familiar with the story. Um, Jesus told us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and he tells them, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires because he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding fast to the truth, for there is no truth in him. He is a liar, and you are his children. So, so very much, Jesus obviously believed in this, this real power. Um, Luke, uh, when he is uh, writing in the book of Acts, he's talking about the birth of the church, and he is talking about Jesus. Luke says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. So Luke believed in this unseen force, this power, this evil. Peter, one of Jesus' very own disciples, he said, stay alert, watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Paul, he describes this, this evil one as, as, as someone that is a trickster, um, that someone that is deceitful, someone who is crafty. So what, what have we got so far? One is be prepared for the struggle. 
Two, who is our enemy? Um, you know, it could be the world. It could be your flesh. It could be demonic. I, I don't know. I don't even, you know, I, could, I would even say, honestly, for me, you know, maybe seven, eight times in my life, I have sensed the presence of evil. Uh, more often than not, it just kind of feels like it's just my bad decisions or somebody else's bad decisions <laughs> that have caused most of the havoc in my life. But one writer um, described it this way, and, and I don't know if I can explain this as well as it, it made such sense to me. And he said, when we think about these demonic powers, he said, you know, yeah, it, it could be our own fallen nature. It could be, you know, what's going on in the world. He said, but I think it feels to me like kind of the way the enemy works is that he amplifies what is already within us that is not Christ-like. He amplifies what is already within us. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how we weren't to let anger control us. And you know, the Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger because when you do, you are giving the devil a foothold when we allow bitterness and unforgiveness. And so to me, what, what that is pointing to is this idea that, that the anger wasn't what was so bad, the conflict was not what was so harmful, but when we give into the bitterness and the unforgiveness, then we have given Satan a seat at the table, if you will. He is going to amplify, and he is going to use that uh, to, to wreak, wreak havoc on our in our relationships, on our oneness. And so to me, that, that is almost what he's doing. And, and what it reminded me of, and I, and I have no idea if this is true or not, but I heard it on the news. So do y'all think it's true? has to be true. I don't know if this is true or not. So, but anyway, but I remember uh, back, you know, this was a, a previous, you know, election cycle. But one of the newscasters was saying is that what was happening on Facebook, now again, y'all, I don't know if this is true or not, but they said that there were these bots, you know what I'm talking about, a bot, you know, from some country, and I'm not going to name the country, but what they were doing was they were trying to amplify the divisiveness that was already in our in our country by getting us riled up against one another. And to me, I thought, oh my gosh, that sounds so demonic. Now, I know the bot's not demonic, but I thought, isn't that what Satan tries to do, is he tries to take the places where we're already susceptible to sin, the places where we're already susceptible to greed, the places where we're already susceptible to, uh, to unforgiveness, you know, fill in the blank, but he takes that and he amplifies it, and behind the scenes, he's trying to push us further and further away from our God. So, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Paul writes, and he says, basically, remember, your, your, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but God has given you these powerful weapons. Now, for those of you who grew up in the church, you might remember, did anybody ever do this? I used to teach children's church. Have you ever seen the little flanagram thing? Anybody, okay, anybody use flanagram? You know what I'm talking about? I see some I see some hands there. All right, this is okay for those of you who are young. Y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. But we used to use flannel boards, and so we had like this little Roman soldier, and we'd put you know pieces by piece, and so he had a little breastplate of righteousness. Y'all remember that? The little helmet of salvation, all of this. So I don't know about y'all. I have I've taught children's church. I've I've used these phrases. I never could wrap my head around it. It was like I don't know. I'm not a Roman soldier. What what do I need? with a breastplate of right, what It made no sense to me. But here's the thing we've got to understand about Paul. What was happening when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesian church? 
Okay, he was under house arrest. Okay, what, how boring, do you think that might have been boring to be under house arrest? It was kind of like the pandemic, almost when we couldn't leave our houses, we were in a quarantine. Y'all remember that? All right, so all Paul had to do was he probably had a Roman soldier who was sitting there guarding him. And so he's like, oh yeah, that helmet that he's got on. Oh yeah, that could be like the helmet of salvation. Oh yeah, he's got a breastplate. Of, okay, that, so he, be, he begins to wrap his mind around, you know, this Roman soldier and how he is dressed. I don't know if this really happened, but I could imagine it. And so he begins to make spiritual analogies. Well, just imagine, if you will, and this is what makes more sense to me, Imagine that we could have teleported an iPad and a Disney Plus subscription to the Apostle Paul under house arrest, and imagine just for a moment that he was kind of, you know, uh, watching all the Avenger movies. Okay, all right, well, you're gonna, y'all know I love the Avengers. Well, anyway, the way he might have written this, if that were the case, is that he might have said, oh, Ephesian church, I want you to take up a shield of faith. Imagine it is like Captain America. America's, yes, vibranium shield. All right, do y'all like that picture in your mind? I can relate to that because I've watched a bunch of movies where, you know, Captain America's got his shield and everything's popping off of it. And he could have said, and I want you to take up the sword of the Spirit, you know, which is the Word of God because let me tell you, it is a lot like Thor's hammer. It's like, oh yeah, I can defeat the lies of the devil with, you know, with Thor's hammer, the helmet of salvation. Okay, y'all help me. What do y'all think this is? Tony Stark, Tony Stark, yes, and his Iron Man suit. You know, there's a little back, and it goes over his head. All right, nothing's getting through, nothing. Uh, the breastplate of righteousness. Don't you love it when the Black Panther, he touches that little thing on his neck, and all of a sudden, he's got on his black suit, and nothing is getting through. Y'all, that's how I would have written it, but I'm not the Apostle Paul. But just imagine, that's a different way to say Ephesian church, Martha Bowman, uh, whatever your struggle is today, pick up the weapons that God has given you. Um, Things like righteousness, truth, peace, faith, salvation. These are more than mere words. These are the weapons by which we push back the darkness. We don't push back the darkness by making enemies of one another. We push back the darkness by walking in love and faith and peace and righteousness. What did Jesus do? Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So briefly here as we close, and I know I'm beginning to run out of time here, but but think about with me what does this look like in your life? Practically, what does this look like tomorrow for you, Monday morning, this afternoon? You know, no, I do not have a Captain America shield. But here's the thing that we do have, every single one of us. We have a Bible that is full of God's Word and God's truth about who you are, about how we should live, about who God is. We take that truth and we fight against the lies and the accusations that Satan tries to throw our way to tell us that we're not enough, that we're not gifted enough, that we're not strong enough, that we can't withstand this temptation. We have His truth. 
we go out and do good, that our feet are shod with the gospel of peace. I think about this past week, Mark and Liz um, and, and some others were up in Kentucky. They were, they were on a mission trip, and Mark will probably tell you about it next week, but, but they were feeding people who were hungry. They were doing the work of the church. Um, I think about um, music. I think about, do you, do you, when you come in here and we all worship together, corporately is what we call that, does it not just lift your spirits? Does it not lift your spirits when we, when our worship team, they lead us into the presence of God? I don't know about y'all, but I can feel like my life is a, just, you know, a, a hot mess, the struggle is real, whatever. But it's almost like the worship when we worship together, it feels like it just kind of pushes the darkness back. These are the tools, these are the weapons, because here's what we know, is that the victory has already been won. And this side of eternity, the church is God's presence, Christ's body in the world today to push back the darkness in the same way that Jesus Christ did when he walked on this earth. What are our next steps? I hope this week that you'll take up whatever those weapons are, whether you use, you know, Avenger imagery or whether you use Roman soldier imagery. I pray that you'll ponder and think about this, that you'll use God's word, that you'll use prayer, that you'll use worship, that you'll use doing good deeds to help push back the darkness. And our baptismal covenant um, in the Methodist church, I love this. One of the vows that we take when you become a member of, of the church, when you get baptized, um, the, the pastor asks, and he says, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Do you reject the evil powers of this world? And do you repent of your sin? And we reply, yes. Do you accept the freedom and the power that God gives you to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And we answer, yes. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ is open to all people of all ages, nations, and races? Y'all, this language, it comes straight from the book of Ephesians. These are the very things that Paul has been teaching that church so long ago that are just as modern and just as relevant and just as needed in our world today. Another next step that I want to invite you to, and I'm going to close with this, is that in your bulletin, um, we are in the middle of our stewardship campaign. We do this two Sundays out of every year. We just give two weeks to it. Um, in your bulletin there, um, it's a letter from Mark and our finance chair um, where they basically are inviting people. Now, if you are visiting today, this is, this, is, this, is, this is a family conversation. You don't have to pay attention. If you're visiting today, don't pay any attention to this. But if you are a member of Martha, Bowman, if you regularly worship in a, and you would say, this is my home church, um, this letter is an invitation uh, for you to push back the darkness through your financial gifts. Um, I've included there the budget. And what, you know, I, the budget, it is just numbers on an Excel spreadsheet that have, been, that have been printed off. But what these numbers represent is our best ability to say, God, how can we use the, the tithes and the offerings and the resources that you have given us? How can we use this to, um, 
to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? How can we use this to reject the evil powers of this world? How can we be a part of, of seeing children uh, come to faith in Christ, seeing teenagers know that they're loved and they're wanted and they are amazing human beings? How can we uh, take you know, the, the good news and, and go to places like Jordan and Kentucky um, and Macon and all over the place? How can we use this to say, Satan, you have been so defeated, and you will not win. It is a struggle. It is a war. But we have been given the power and the tools to overcome evil in our world today. Let's go.